Tuesday, October 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Happy Tuesday, my friend. How are you, sir? Now that earnings season is starting to get rolling, I'm, it's I'm gonna good. Get, it's going to get busy. It's going to get busy. We like that, though. We, we do. We it like what's something to talk about. Exactly. Let's, uh, let's just jump right in. And yes, we're going to talk about the beer merger. Okay. For the people who have been tweeting and emailing, yes, we're going to talk <laughs> it, about it the beer. It is the news of the day. <laughs> it is the news of Absolutely. the day. Absolutely. But let's start with Johnson & Johnson. Third quarter, kind of a mixed bag. Profit better than expected. Revenue was a little light. Right. It's all about that pesky strong dollar that we keep talking about over and over and over again. And I'm going to really look forward to the day where we can stop talking about it because it's kind of wreaking havoc on a lot of these um, global companies. J and J gets almost half of its sales from overseas, and that really can can take a chunk out of the top line when the dollar is strong. So sales came in below expectations. They were down 7.4 percent, but they're hurt by about 8 percent because of the dollar. So they would have been up slightly. If it wasn't for the strength there, um, they did have some other little pockets of weakness. Their hepatitis C drug, um, which is coming off patent, and there's a lot of competition there, um, was weak. But they had some other drugs um, that did quite well. Um, that thing's been a monster for them, though. Absolutely, ge- without a doubt. In general, yeah, and and you know that doesn't last forever. Right. But then they've they've got other things. They've got the, their diabetes drug, their their blood cancer drug. They have a blood thinner drug, Zarelto. Um, those are doing well, so you know. All in all, um, not a stellar quarter, but not so bad either. Especially, especially if you adjust for the dollar, uh, profits were down about ten percent. That was actually better than expected, thanks to actually a relatively low tax rate. So not because business is necessarily stellar, but because they paid less taxes. But very excitedly, I think for shareholders is, is another ten billion dollar buyback um, that they're going to start on. They've already bought back about five billion since last July. July of 2014, um, so they continued to do that. The stock isn't um, necessarily that expensive, so so I applaud that. It's a, probably a decent time to buy stock. Dividend remains strong, three percent. Stock looks pretty good here. Yeah, I was going to say the stock is basically flat today, and and for the year down around eight mm-hmm. percent. So it, it does seem like a good time to buy back stock. I think I have this right in terms of the timing. I think they announced the buyback before they announced their earnings. I think I saw the, the which, which, press releases. Yeah, they came out one after which the other. I think spooked a few of the professionals on Wall Street because it's basically if you're leading with the ten billion dollar buyback, then, then what's coming we're going to assume that your your quarter was terrible, and it wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't terrible. No. Let's move on to the beer merger. Yeah. Finally, speaking speaking of stories that we're looking forward to no longer talking about. Um, <laughs> Anheuser-Busch InBev proving that the fourth time is a charm because they finally convinced SAB Miller to merge. $104 billion is the the final number. And if this goes through, and first of all, if this goes through, it's going to be sometime probably deep into 2016 when it gets finalized, or at least well into 2016. But if it goes through, this thing and I say thing because that's what <laughs> it's it is. Monster. This monster is going to control one third of the global beer market. Right, which which is you know the antitrust folks are really going to be looking at that closely, especially in the U.S. But they're going to have the toughest hurdle there because AB has a forty five percent market share. SAB has a 25% market share through its um, Miller Coors joint venture with Molson. So that that's a big number there, and it, it's a competitive question that I'm sure they're going to be looking at closely. But hey, fourth time is a charm, as you said. <laughs> it's good to see this getting done. Um, 
and it was a long time coming, but I, you know, I think it makes sense as long as you can get through the regulators. Is the assumption that Molson Coors is going to be the beneficiary of sort of that whole spinoff? Miller Coors? Miller Coors, yeah, because because Molson Coors stock was up. I don't know. This morning it was up like ten percent, and and that was that was sort of the thesis. Like, look, no regulator in the United States is going to let Bud and Sab Miller <laughs> merge. The way they are right, right now, they'll, they'll will, have to sell some things they'll, off. They'll have to die. And that hap- that's happened before in this industry, and one would think it's likely it would happen again. The listeners not waiting for this podcast they already are. Are, before we start. We're <laughs> no, tape- we like that. We love that. Yeah. We love that. We're taping a little bit later today, so uh, the email was rolling in first from Warren Keisel in Arlington, Virginia. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing the last name, Warren. Um, I went on a bit of a hunch back in 2014, and I bought shares of Anheuser-Busch InBev and SAB Miller, thinking that they are pretty dominant in the international beer markets. Now that they are merging, do I keep both stocks? Do I sell SAB Miller? What do we think? Well, if you if you don't do anything, you'll get cash for your SAB Miller um, shares. Uh, but it, as we just said, it could take a while. This is gonna. You said 2016, and you know yeah. maybe late 2016. Who knows? So um, the stock has not realized the full value yet of of the acquisition because there's some questions and because of the time involved. So the question is: take your cash now and do something else with it, or wait it out and get the full value um, as as the stock starts to creep up closer to the acquisition price i think it's fine if you want to take your cash and and put it somewhere else and then you can continue to own um, anheuser busch as you as you normally do from Colin Thomaset, uh, I'm a shareholder of SAB Miller, and since I'm in the U.S., I hold it as an ADR under the ticker SBMRY. Um, and basically wondering, you know, do the shareholders receive cash? Is that also the case for the ADR holders? Yes, that should absolutely be the case. One um, confusing aspect of this acquisition, which I'll talk about just in case people are confused, is you can either take cash. Or you can take um, cash plus some restricted stock. SAB shareholders do have the right to do that, but it's that that structure was primarily put in place to appease Altria, which owns 27%, and the Santo Domingo family, which owns 14%. It helps them, but it's a, actually the value of that stock plus cash is less than the value of just the cash. So if you're just a regular old shareholder like we would, we could be. I would say take the cash. Don't think about putting um, taking the, the cash plus the stock. You can always take the higher cash value and buy the stock later if if that's what you choose to do. Um, but yes, the ADR should act exactly the same as the regular stock. Worth noting, fifth largest merger of all time. Yeah, it's a big boy and the biggest merger in sort of the consumer staple space. It's pretty. It's yeah. It's pretty incredible. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Jerry Campbell in Nebraska. I understand how stock buybacks result in increased value for the shareholder in terms of dividend distributions, but other than dividends, is the only benefit for the shareholder the hope that buybacks will increase the appeal of the stock so that other investors will hop on and therefore increase the price? No, it's it's primarily his his first thing, but it's not just with respect to dividends. It's the the pie gets smaller, so the earnings per share goes up. So you have one share of stock, the amount of earnings attached to that share is now higher. That theoretically should also lead to a higher share price in the stock because there's now more earnings associated with each share, and that should drive the stock higher. That's theoretical. Then you also have the actual supply demand characteristics of 
a company going in and actually creating a demand for that stock it, itself by purchasing and purchasing and purchasing millions and millions of shares, and and stocks do trade based on supply and demand, with the underlying factors of supply and demand being the health of a company. Jerry used the word hope in that question, <laughs> and obviously you're also hoping that the executives who are executing this have a good track record for stock buybacks because as you just indicated or sort of alluded to with Johnson and Johnson not everybody does they're they're timing this one pretty nicely but not everybody does not only does not everyone do it well most don't do it well um, people who uh, CEOs that are typically good capital allocators in one realm are poor stock buyback um, decision makers and they often get it wrong they often get it at a time where you know they shouldn't be buying back the stock they should be taking their cash and, ca- and allocating it to other um, better return on investment opportunities um, so yes they are notorious for getting that kind of a thing wrong Jerry had two other questions getting a lot of back wow, uh, when we hear phrases like after hours or pre hours who are those guys <laughs> I have no interest in participating I'm just wondering <laughs> Who are these people who do that? <laughs> That's funny. So, so back in the day, they were institutional investors. Nowadays, it's actually anyone can participate in in the pre market or the after hours market. But I have to throw out the caveat that you have to be careful because that those markets are not very liquid, and um, shares trade hands at prices that aren't you know as efficient as during during the regular day. So, if you're going to try to buy or sell a stock in the pre or the after. Definitely use limit orders because you'll end up getting poor execution on your price, and you'll you'll be throwing up your hands and saying, "What did I just do?" Well, and as we discussed earlier, you have a case where pre-hours Johnson and Johnson comes out with the announcement of the buyback, <laughs> right. and the assumption among some is, "Well, this bad news is coming right after this." So right, and often you'll see a press release go out before the market opens. Everything looks good or bad, and then that turns once the company holds their ten o'clock conference call. Right. So sometimes you really want to wait till all the news is out. The press release is kind of thin sometimes, and you get more information after the conference call. It's pretty amazing how a conference call can really swing the difference. Absolutely. Well, in both directions. Both directions. Not only do you hear more, there's more meat on the bones from the company, but analysts get to ask questions, and they can ask penetrating questions as well, which can really turn the tide. Final question from Jerry, who writes, uh, oh, yeah, and Chris, what's your go-to bourbon? <laughs> Thanks, and keep up the great work. Uh, I would. Uh, I, you can't go wrong with Woodford Reserve. Good, That's good. Four Roses? Uh, is, that a, is that a name of a bourbon? It is. I haven't had Four no. Roses in a long Jefferson? time. Jefferson? Jefferson's very nice. Little little bit on the uh, bolder side of the palate. Also a little bit more expensive. Okay. Uh, Angel's Envy, also very oh, nice as well. Nice. Before we wrap up, uh, Jason Moser and I talked yesterday uh, as we're right at the beginning of earnings season. One thing you're looking for, I'm curious, what what are you watching for this earnings season? It can be a company, it can be Mm -hmm. an industry, it can be anything. It's it's several things, but they're all interconnected. And it's basically, I want to hear what companies are saying about commodity prices and China and how that's going to affect growth now for the current quarter, but more importantly for, for the next, let's say, 12 months or so. And specific to that, I want to see how companies that are affected by the agricultural businesses, the mining businesses, what they're saying about their results. Because I have a lot of exposure to a lot of those companies in the deep value portfolio. So, um, I'm definitely going to be focused on hearing what they have to say. When you say agricultural, are you thinking like the Conagra's of no, the world, or, the, or the, Caterpillar, the Caterpillar Deer uh, Company. I follow Titan International. I think we talked about that. I'm tr- I think it was on yesterday's episode. Uh, Jason and I were talking about 
or maybe it was before we started taping, but basically just um, China and sort of transparency or lack thereof when it comes to China. And I thought that was it a year and a half ago? I think it was the beginning of 2014 where Caterpillar came out and they had they had a write down. They had some massive write down because they realized that. Basically, the, the the books that they had in China were were not what they appeared, <laughs> yes. and I think it was a write down to the tune of about nine hundred million dollars. It, was a, I mean, it I, was a big number. I, I know what you're talking about. I always call China the wild card, and that's my nuanced way of saying, "Gosh, I have no way to figure any of this out because you never know what you can trust from both the government and and specific enterprises there, um, and you don't know how how much they could swing the economy, commodity prices, a lot of different things, you know, one way or the other." Well, and that was, and I don't own Caterpillar, but that was what was so jarring to me was, here's this big, stable, profitable company, and yeah, they just got taken. Right, and and a big company like that, you you know, it doesn't sink as a result of that, but there are companies that can, you know, a smaller company. Um, that can really have have quite a bit of trouble, but we're we're really talking about fraud here in in, in certain circumstances. Right, right. Um, I'm mostly talking about just regular um, growth and how China's growth in particular really affects the world economies and commodity prices. Um, and the fact that it isn't as transparent makes it even more difficult. Horsehead Holdings having a pretty nice week or two. Yeah, stock doubled um, last week, but you know, in all fairness, it had been decimated prior to that. Um, Glencore came out and said they were going to cut a third of their zinc um, production because prices were just too low from zinc, the commodity, and it didn't make sense um, leaving it in the ground, protect it, and when prices um, get higher, then then you can start to mine again. That ha- that that popped zinc prices ten percent in one day. Um, Horsehead was the beneficiary of that, probably a lot of short covering as well. Um, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.